0: To the Casey City Church audio podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Let's, let's bow our heads this, this morning and and let's ask the Lord to just come as we have already, I'm sure invited him but at this point in time, let's just ask the Lord sow the right seeds in our hearts Lord. my, my heart is this soil that has been plowed. You to sow, for you to plant this right seed. We just want to thank you. And Lord, we truly bless you, Lord. Unstop our ears and cause our eyes to be able to see deeper, further. Lord, cause our hunger to grow. And despite us not being able to be with one another and to actually see one another in the flesh, we thank you that in the spirit we are connected. So today, we thank you that as we've worshiped you and as we've called you our father as we have acknowledged you as 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 our savior Jesus and 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 coming to you even right now in the power of the holy spirit we 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 so much want to thank you and just bless you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen friends we've been uh, for those of you who are part of the church part of our church community uh, we want to welcome you again and in in particular those of you who are joining us uh, joining our live stream you know you've been joining us over the over the this this time of COVID or, or the coronavirus and the lockdown and now lockdown 2.0 we just want to thank you for joining us, and today we're coming to the end of our of our parable, and it's a it's a great uh, great parable to end with because uh, I think here an an important aspect to consider is is this, and I'm doing it as a as a part two from last week is is the simplicity of the text collector. He comes in the state that he's in, and you've already heard the passage that was that was read, and uh, you've also heard it being narrated narrated by uh, by the sops. So again, we want to really thank thank them. But you know, last week, friends, I I shared I shared with you towards the end of our as as we were concluding, I shared I shared this this picture of uh, the 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 difficulty in a sense that now as as churches, all of us here in the state of Victoria at least that I'm aware of, we can only have five people right and uh, and, and uh, I mentioned as I began to chat with, uh, with with two of our pastors, as we began to talk about that, I just felt the Lord just really impress upon my heart this uh, this this um, this picture of David and Goliath, and you know, despite the difficulty we might face and despite the intimidation that may come over us, despite the fear, the anxiety, and all of that, right, I feel that this this five is a reminder to us at this point in time, at this season, that as David went and picked those five stones, he was able to down Goliath. And and he, and if you know the story of david and goliath you know that goliath was he's a is a representation of of intimidation of fear he came and he again caused the the entire army the israelite army to to begin to start to freak out and they were hiding on either side of the valley right and here comes a shepherd boy who's coming out of isolation right and why i say isolation is because if you know if if you read through that passage you will see that his older brothers were quite quite annoyed with him and said hey why what are you doing here right i know you've just come here because you want to see what the action is like why don't you go back and take care of the few sheep so his responsibility david's responsibility before he killed goliath was way back in the desert right Back in the boondock, so so to say, and he's hiding. He's not really hiding there, but he's 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 got a responsibility, and his responsibility was this: to care for the sheep. But while he was caring for the sheep, he killed a lion. I don't know how many. He may have killed a few, and he and he killed a bear or two, or, or whatever the number is. But the point is this: that he managed to do all of that. And as you know, as you read the Psalms, you begin to realize that David had this relationship this amazing relationship with God. And so it all started in that time of isolation. So friends, though we may be in isolation and though we may feel intimidated or fearful or anxious or whatever, let's begin to believe that God has placed and he's reminding us that, hey, Number five, which is reminds us of grace. I'm giving you this. I'm giving you the tools to begin to bring down the spirit of intimidation. It's not a person, but it's a spirit that is trying to come against us. So let's rejoice with that this, uh, this morning. And let's take to heart that whatever we may feel and in any in any uh, period of isolation, we know that God is only making us stronger. He's only causing us to go deeper. He's only causing us to be more sure of who He is and this is the time where He is inviting and drawing you and I to himself. So we begin to, we will begin to recognize the, the immense power that is in our God. And you know, the word of the Lord says in Isaiah that the Lord, your God in your midst is mighty and he is mighty to save. You need to say hallelujah to that, that he is mighty to save. I mean, how exciting is that today for us to begin to celebrate that and, and, and really recognize that this morning, right? So as we begin to, to uh, uh, look at this parable, Right, this parable speaks of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And as you know, the Pharisee was someone that was highly respected as i mentioned last week i'll just i'll just bring that up again he was highly respected if there was anyone that they wanted to emulate it was it would have been the pharisees right so amongst a lot of the jews they looked at the pharisees and they saw that these guys were a, a, a group a sect so to say that committed themselves to want to know more about god to want to learn more about god so that was how they were viewed whereas a text collector was a jew as well but he was tied in with the romans right and his and and his whole agenda was this he was a despicable guy he was someone that would uh, you know that would want to create intimidation in you as well that would want to create fear whatever he would take more of your money and he would begin he would begin to he would um, i suppose uh, you know loot whatever that you have right and he would in a way, and, and that was, he would steal from you, so to say. So he was really hated by the people. And so Jesus now, it says, and uh, the verse starts off like this, in um, and it says in verse nine, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So though you begin to see that these Pharisees, they felt that they were the righteous ones, and anyone that they looked at was someone that they would scorn, and they would think, "Oh, you're 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 really nothing. You're really no one." And uh, how do we see that? Look look at that in in today's context. You know, in this in this modern day, who are some of the Pharisees? Who are some who who would be classified as as uh, as a text? Uh, text collector, so a text collector would be someone that would pr- would probably be maybe you might look at a homeless and you might feel that or maybe you know if a if a person comes into church and you see the person is is wearing say a uh, uh, a torn and tattered pair of jeans and he 's got you know um, uh, what do you call that um, What are those things? Tattoos, yeah. He's got tattoos, and you know, different hair colors, and maybe even of a different uh, uh, sexual orientation. Now, and they come, and and as they come into your presence, because note that these Pharisees, they were religious, right? So they are from a religious order. So imagine yourself now, you and I, and when we have individuals like this, and as we look, we look down, and we look down with disdain. Now, don't tell me that that doesn't happen. Whether it doesn't happen in church or whether it doesn't happen wherever you are. I mean, imagine now, for instance, you you, you are on a queue. Yeah, you're standing in a queue, sorry. You're standing in a queue and you're about to pay... Um, you know, you're, you're about to pay for your groceries and, and you begin to see this person right in front of you or two, two or three ahead of you. And, and they're struggling to pay because, you know, suddenly they don't have much money in their account or something happened or, or whatever. And and, 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 and you know, that, that, that embarrassment either that person is feeling or, and you look at it and you say, oh man, I, I, I would never do that. I would never be in a place like that. I am so much better off. You know, you may feel like that, right? Or you look at, uh, uh, you know, another parent and you see that their kids are crying and wailing. And you look at your kids and you see, wow, look at that. Look at my kids. How amazingly well brought up are they? Right? And you look at that. I mean, that's a Pharisee and a tax collector in a sense. Why? Because there is this difference that we begin to look. We feel that we are better off than anyone. And so Jesus now is beginning to address this issue. And he's beginning to address this issue in the context of prayer here, friends. This issue in the context of pride and, and humility. So I want to take these, 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 these next few minutes that we have. And I just want to bring this to a close or this parable to a close and, and really emphasize the whole context of, of prayer. But I'd like to read this passage one more time. And I want to read the prayer component, right? Where the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. And he said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Have you ever heard yourself say that? Oh, thank God I'm not like that. Cheaters. Sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my in income. So we feel we can buy ourselves, and this is this is how. Now, in the literal Greek, in this context, you know what it actually really says. It it the implication here is is that he was praying unto himself. It was not even unto God. And you know, the Pharisees they stood up because in that day and age, they would stand up and 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 it would be a normal thing actually friends, for the Pharisee to begin to pray like that and to put others down. That was a normal thing in, their, in that day and age, right? In that culture, that was a normal aspect. And so the, uh, the, 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 the text collector was way behind in the outer of the outer courts, you know, in that sense. And so he's feeling shameful, because of the things that he's done, but there is something inside of him. There is this desperation that, that calls on to him, right? And in verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he prayed. This was how he prayed. He began to beat his chest and he said, oh God, be merciful. He starts off with a, be merciful. Be merciful. Because he knows what he's done and he knows who, who you know what sort of a person he is, but he wants to change. Be merciful, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And this would have blown the minds of everyone that was listening. You know why? Because they would not have expected Jesus to say that that text collector, and if you heard me say last week, one of the commentators classified a text collector in today's day and age as a pimp. Right, someone who would live of others—that is—that is the the, the depravity, of maybe a maybe a, a a drug pusher or someone like that, right? Where they live off someone else, and here now Jesus begins to say this: Hey, that person now—it is the tax collector—that I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Some say just as if I'd. Justified. Just as if I'd. Not been a sinner. Just as if I'd been cleansed. So he walks just as if I'd not sinned. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what you are. You are justified now. Right? Now so for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, And those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is. Friends, this is is not just powerful, but this is absolutely precious here. That when we begin to humble ourselves, God desires to exalt us. When we don't fight for our rights, God begins to exalt us. When we begin to feel that, no, I'm going to let my God do do the work and I'm going to trust, God will begin to exalt. You know... My wife and I, we've been talking about the season that we are in and, and that was, I think last week or something like that, I, I, I heard her mention that she said, you know, man, you know, even, even just thinking a particular thought on something that you, that you feel you, 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 you want to see happen, God seems to already deliver that to you. You know, and you heard the Our Father Right? You heard the Our Father, and it says, do not be at the end, it says, do not be like the Gentiles that 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 just babble away again and again, the same thing. But God already knows your desire. Now it doesn't mean that you don't pray, it doesn't mean that at all. But it's it's talking about again the posture. The posture that you and I begin to begin to take on. Right? It is the difference between posture and position. Uh, let me read you this quote now. To lose. So coming out of this text here, to lose our grip on the costliness of forgiveness. Why is he asking for mercy? Because he wants to be forgiven. Am I right? That's what this uh, the, the text collector wants to do. He wants to really be forgiven. And to lose our grip on the costliness of forgiveness will result in a superficial perfunctory con- uh, confession that does not lead to any real change of heart. When you begin to lose out on that, on the costliness of forgiveness, there will be no life change. To lose our grip on the freeness of forgiveness, however, will lead to continued guilt, shame, and self-loathing. So there will be no relief only when we see both the freeness and the cost of forgiveness will we get relief from the guilt as well as liberation from the power of sin in our lives. Let me repeat that, man, because this deserves another uh, another mention. Only when we see both the freeness and the cost of forgiveness will we get relief from the guilt as well as liberation from the power of sin in our lives. And that tax collector came, feeling guilty, wanting mercy, feeling shameful. Have you been at that place where you feel so shameful? And all you can say, Lord, grant me mercy, mercy. You know, one of the things in prayer, and as we pray in the Holy Spirit, it's this. The word of the Lord says that, and he knows the mind of God. And so when we pray in the spirit, in particular as we pray in tongues, this, because so often we don't know what to pray. But as we begin to pray in tongues, we are praying to understand the mind of God. And when you and I understand the mind of God, we, we come to a place of, of deep revelation that takes us into an amazing encounter with God. So these days of isolation are days where you and I can experience what it means to understand the mind of God. Because in that place of isolation, we can pray like anything in the Spirit. For the Spirit will lead us into all truth, church. Come on, let me hear you say an amen or let me hear you, let me not hear you, let me see you write an amen and, and, and share something that, that you feel, you feel on your heart, right? Now, each man's prayer here was different from the other, right? The Pharisees' prayer is mentioned first. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, actually, right? God, I thank you and that I'm not like the other man, men. Extortionist, unjust, adulterous, etc., etc., etc. I fast twice a, w- twice a week, and you heard me mention this. You know, they were only required to fast once, but he went above and beyond. So, this guy is a Pharisee that went above and beyond. He gave more than just his 10%, right? Of his tithes. I give tithes of all that I possess. So, it's not just one aspect, it's several different elements that he looks at. You know, in today's context, okay, he's tithing on his superannuation, he's tithing on his bonus, he's tithing on everything, you know, in that sense, and he's just giving, and he's tithing on, on the sale of his home, he's tithing on everything, right? And, and, and if you remember, the reason Christ presented the parable was that those who trusted in themselves, they considered themselves as being extremely Righteous, right? So he, he he wanted to target that. So the the, the the conclusion of this of this parable is is it's very interesting here because Christ reminded the audience that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In verse 13 and 14. So the text collector was humble, right? Now, he was humble, why? Because there was this desperation. Not that the tax collector is a humble person. Tax collectors in those days were not not humble, but in this particular situation, there was a desperation, there was an acknowledgement of his sinful lifestyle. So he comes in humility, right? He comes, the tax collector, and he was repentant. He had a repentant frame of mind. So he was the justified Now, the Bible often speaks of the need to avoid pride. Amen? Now, notice what Solomon wrote about how God views pride in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. And he says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way of the perverse mouth I hate. Right? God does give grace to the humble. The Apostle James now, he begins to, he wrote this, right? In the book of James chapter 4, verse 6, and he says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? Humble yourself in verse 10 of James chapter 4. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So God puts the onus on us to humble ourselves, so if we humble ourselves, meaning if we come under, if we if if we don't begin to put our needs or our wants and our desire and our will, more so our will. Oh, I deserve this. This is what I deserve. This is what I so you so we come to God saying, God, I deserve this, 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 this. So, you know, unlike those guys, you know, what they're doing, they don't deserve that. So I deserve this, 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 this. So we now that's that's Not the form of prayer that God is advising or he's saying in the context of the parable. He's saying now, come. And if you take on the context of Matthew chapter 6 that was read earlier, God already knows your desire. But he he, he, he wants to see the posture in which you come. Lord, I come before you because I really trust you. I trust you with my entire life. So this is a parable about two individuals, right? It's a, compar- it's a compar- comparison. It's about, it's about two types of prayer, and it's about two types of destinies, right? One is a destiny of someone who was justified because of the manner in which he postured himself and how he prayed. And the other was not, just, was not justified. So which one of the two are you? Which one of the two will you continue to be? Now, the apostle Paul Peter, Peter reiterates the same thoughts and it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, who, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And you know what? This whole corona thing, you know, you know what is really happening? He is, you've heard this word many times. He is leveling everything. Those of us who may think that we are more than who we are, God is leveling it and saying, hey, we are, I just want you to know that very virus that affects that person can affect you. But friends, I want to share with you this good news. That, that, you know what the vaccine is? And the vaccine is this. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the fact that Jesus himself, who died on the cross for you, did not remain dead. He has made you and I now righteous. That's the only way we can be righteous by accepting and receiving him, right? So this virus can't get a hold of us in a sense that we may be affected by it, but it cannot get a hold of us if we begin to receive the vaccine of Jesus, right? And, and become a, a believer, one that has a relationship with, with Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't follow the guidelines that we have and live our lives carelessly. No, that's not that. In fact, when we do, we will begin to realize that Jesus expects us to live you know, t- to live in, in a way where we don't stumble other people. Where our lives, where the guidelines that we begin to embrace will actually bring freedom to others as well. You know, it's so interesting, right, when someone that is inflicted with, with this COVID-19 is positive, meets someone else, and then it begins to spread exponentially exponentially. 1 to 4 or 4 to X number and, and you know I, I, I'm not too sure what the math is but it, it begins to grow exponentially. Don't you think the vaccine of Jesus can grow likewise exponentially? That we can touch someone, that someone can touch the entire family. That's the way, that's what happened to me when I was touched by Jesus. My family, entire family, my brothers, my sisters, my, my, my mom, all came to the Lord. Every single person came to the Lord. My nephews, my nieces, all of them came to know the Lord. So, He can touch you. And when He touches you, that vaccine can touch your family. And your and your children's children, and your children's children. Hallelujah. That's the good news. Now, what, what what do some people say about prayer? Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help. All of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence, says Timothy Keller. Praise both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help. We don't want to ask help often because we feel we are self-made. And that's what this Pharisee portrayed. Oh, this is who I am. Unlike that person. Right, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of the presence. Friends, these are great days that we're living in. They're not days of anxiety. They don't need to be days of depression. They don't need to be days of fear. But they can be days where we experience the presence of God in an incredible way, in a deeper, in a much deeper way. But it's left to you and I. It's not just going to happen like that. It is left to the seekers, to the ones who chase after him. Are you a God chaser? Are you running after him? Prayer is the only entryway into genuine (laughs) self-knowledge. I love this. It is also the main way we experience deep change. The reordering of of, of, of our loves, what we love what we are passionate about. Prayer is the reordering of that. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. You know, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God Himself. So that's what the Apostle Paul puts to us. Prayer is not just to be able to get from God, but it is to, it is to be able to get more of who God is, more of God Himself, to know you more and to know the depth. Of, to know your death and your resurrection. Oh, I want to know you more. That's what he says in Philippians chapter three. Oh, I want to know you more. You know, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. We can't come together as a corporate group, but what's your private prayer life? like? These are days where we need to focus on this, my friend. God is giving us the most amazing opportunity. Why don't we take it? Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, healed people with prayers, denounced the corruption of the temple worship. Which, what did he say? My house shall be called a house of and insisted that some demons could not be cast out without prayer and fast. Or without fast and prayer. He prayed often and regularly with with, with these fervent cries in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says that. And sometimes all nights. And you know what? The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying in Luke chapter 3, verse 20 to 22. Right? As he began to pray, the Holy Spirit anointed him. And he was transfigured as well with the divine glory as he again prayed in Luke chapter 9, verse 29. So when he faced the greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. So what are we doing in this crisis, in this pandemic? We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died. And then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. Amen. Finally, he died praying. You know, here's another quote. God will either give us what we ask for. Are you ready now? Or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. Isn't that amazing? God will give, God will either give us what we ask for or or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. So sometimes when we don't get what we're asking for, it could be because that is what we should have asked for if we knew what Jesus knows. Isn't that an amazing, amazing sense of confidence to have that my Father will give me what what I actually really need, right? You know, when you... When you approach, let, 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 me, let me end with this, with this aspect here. I'm going to try and rush through this, this, this bit here that I have. But when you approach anyone, whether consciously or, or not, you know, we, we make implicit assumptions about the basis in which we're approaching that person. So sort I'll of bring this to a practical uh, uh, sense here and, and, and just land this. Now, your approach or our approach to some, you know, we could approach someone to negotiate a deal, ask a favor, or try to come to some understanding or agreement um, of whatever it is that you may be seeking, maybe asking for directions. You know, how do I get to this place? How do I get, that, get to that place? There is this implicit assumption that you are making as you approach, that, oh, that person's gonna help me find that direction. That's the assumption that we are, make, that we are making, right? So, you must have some basis of why you approach or you're approaching that person. Am I right? When you're approaching someone, you must, have, you must have some basis of why you're approaching. So there is some reason that motivates or drives you to approach that individual. And so intuitively, the, the basis that we approach, that the basis determines the level of exchange. The basis of our approach determines the sort of exchange that begins to happen. Here are some examples now. You can approach anyone on the street to ask something like directions, as I mentioned earlier, and that exchange could happen. But in this COVID-19 environment, you would possibly hesitate because you'd be wondering, oh man, I better stay 1.5 meters, does a person wear a mask? All of those sorts of things are being thought of and being made, right? Or you can go to someone, for instance, and say, excuse me, I'm going to an interview and your leather bag looks real nice, and my laptop, strap or my case my strap just broke. Can I exchange mine with yours? Is that gonna happen? You just go to someone and you say I want to I just want to exchange that bag. Right? That is most certainly not gonna be not gonna be happening because if you want to have a deeper interaction or exchange, you need a deeper basis for that. So in this parable Jesus is outlining two different approaches on prayer. One is what I would I would call a, 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 an approach or that is based on a relationship that is professional. It's a professional relationship with someone. Or you could have a family relationship with someone. So the professional relationship was the Pharisee. He had this professional relationship, right? So in a professional relationship, it is about what I have for you. That is, I have something for you in this professional relationship. Hence, the relationship is based on a product of what I have to give you. The basis here is performance. I perform for you and you evaluate it and vice versa. So he is now reading through his performance. You know, I'm not like this person, I'm blah, 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 and he goes on. So there is a sense of performance, right? This encourages what? Consumerism. A shopping around. Oh, this, you know, you guys are not really doing your church service really well. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go somewhere. Or you go to the shop, the person doesn't treat you. You go somewhere else. You go somewhere else. So it actually really encourages cons- cons- consumerism as such, right? Now, um, in a family relationship, it is what I am to you. The basis here is commitment. I am committed regardless. I am here for you and will be with you. So, for instance, if you live with you, you if you live with in in someone's house as a as a boarder, you pay rent. You follow the rules. Right? So the landlord has particular obligations. Right? It's like, you know, it's it's like this goods and services tax, you know, you've got particular obligations, right? Keeping a professional relationship has its place. You know, I remember we had borders for a few years, and uh, but eventually they became family, right? But when we rented out our, our, our property, we had a property that we rented out, we engaged an agent to handle it in a, in a professional way, so there was this professional relationship as it would get rather confusing if you become kind of friends in that sense, then if there's something that you need to really, you know, you need to raise the rent or you need to do something, it becomes really difficult because, oh, they're friends, we've got this relationship, maybe, may, maybe, we, wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't. Now, with family, the relationship is not conditional and it is based on being, not on doing, as in a professional relationship. What, what I am, what am I to you? Or what I am to you. With a family, you're not a border, but you are a child. There is tension between these two different relationships, right? In the context of the professional paradigm, we perform in order to be accepted. But in the family, since you are accepted, you perform. Let me say that again. In a family, since you and I are accepted, we then should perform. So, acceptance fuels your performance, Right? And as we come to an end here, I want to say this, that you can either go to God either way as a self-righteous professional or a sinner that wants to belong in this family. You could go as a reprobate. You could go a a good-for-nothing person that is calling out for mercy. So you and I, or so this person, or so this tax collector could be accepted. Now, what's important? Three things. Self-awareness. Recognizing where you are at at this point in time. What state you are in. The second is admission of wrongdoing. And the third is desperation for God's mercy. Desperation for God's mercy. Now, this, this parable it drives us to one big evaluation of our personal prayer life. That when we approach God, are we like the Pharisee or the text collector? Are we, do we feel like this professional, do we have this professional relationship with God? Oh my, oh awesome and mighty God, I come before you. And uh, oh, I hearken unto thy voice. And you know, is that, oh, you just come in a simple way, Lord, man, I am. I am so bummed out today. I've just lost it. And I'm desperate. You know, I am so desperate. As I mentioned earlier, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. If we know everything He knows. And let me... Let me share this one other final quote, And it says this, we know God will answer us when we call because one terrible day, if he did not answer Jesus, one terrible day, not if, one terrible day, he did not answer Jesus when he called. So Jesus' prayer, prayers were given the rejection that we sinners Merit so that our prayers could have the reception that He merits. We know that God will answer us when we call because one terrible day He did not answer Jesus when He called. So Jesus' prayers were given the rejection. So his prayers were given the, re- the rejection. Lord, why have thou forsaken me? That was given rejection. That the sinners merit, that we sinners merit, so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits the reception that he merits Isn't that awesome, Prince? So the father rejected the prayer of the son in order for us to be able to merit the prayers that we now will begin to receive, the reception that Jesus now would merit. And he says, give me, give them to me, Lord." Give them to me as he stands and continues to intercede for you and I. So are we going to go to him like the text collected? Or will we humble ourselves, friends, Mm -hmm. and go to him in a manner that is so pleasing Mm -hmm. to him that there is no pride, there is humility? You know the song... Peace in the valley to him. Oh, there will be peace in the valley. Thomas Andrew Dorsey was a black jazz musician from Atlanta. In the 20s, he gained a certain certain amount of notoriety as the composer of jazz tunes with suggestive lyrics. But he gave all that up in 1926 to concentrate exclusively on spiritual music. Peace in the Valley is one of his best-known songs. But there is a story behind this. In 1932, the times were hard, as it is, as we see now, for Dorsey, just trying to survive the Depression, Years as a working musician meant tough sledding. On top of that, his music was not accepted by many people. Some said it was too much. It was, sorry, some said it was much too worldly. The devil's music, they called it. Many years later, Dorsey could laugh about it. He said, I got kicked out of some of the best churches in the land. But the real kick in, t- in the teeth came one night at St. Louis when he received a telegram informing him that his pregnant wife had died suddenly. Dorsey, Dorsey was so filled with grief that his faith was shaken to the roots, but instead of wallowing in self-pity, he turned to the discipline he, best, he knew best. Which is music and which is prayer. In the midst of agony, he wrote the lyrics and the following lyrics Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, oh I'm weak, I'm worn, through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Lead me home. Thank you Jesus. Amen. Just buy his friends and let his peace Amen. fill those places in your life.